You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, good morning. It's good. It's so good to be reminded of the love of God. It's not what I'm preaching on this morning, but it's, it's just never a bad thing to be reminded that God loves you. God loves you. This message of exchange that Olivet reminded us about as we come to the communion table, that we come as we are, and He exchanges as we give our lives to Him. He gives us God, the fullness of God. Amazing. Well, that's not what I'm here to preach on this morning. In fact, if you want a title this morning, it's this. It's preparing a place. Are we ready? Preparing a place. Are we ready? Now, I know there's many, many things in life that we have to get ready for. In fact, you've all got ready this morning to come to church. I can see that looking out at you. There's no one still in their pajamas. No onesies on the front row. This is good. We got ready for church this morning. I'm sure in the morning in our house, there'll be some cries of, are you ready for school? Is your bag ready? Is your lunch ready? We say every day, are you ready for work? Maybe, are you ready for your exam? Are you ready for the big day? We could be saying to Jonathan and Doris, is the nursery ready? As they wait for the arrival of little Chand due any day. This afternoon, I expect Man City and Chelsea will be getting ready for kickoff in a couple of hours' time. Are you ready for someone to drop round to your house? What if somebody said today, actually, yeah, I'm gonna come round straight after church. You know, how did you leave your house this morning? Sometimes, yeah, I thought so, <laughs> us too. It's like in the panic of trying to aim 15 and struggling, sometimes there's kind of a scene of devastation left behind you, isn't there? Now, something happens in our house when we know that someone's coming round. I think maybe this may happen in your house too, especially if you have a shared living space or a family that you live with. I like to say that our house is a real life working home. It's kind of akin to a real life working farm. And really it's code for there is stuff everywhere. It means even if I tidied up this morning, then if I go in now, there will be at least one wrapper on the sofa. There will be at least one discarded sock in the living room, and it won't be clean. It won't be immediately obvious when you walk in. It'll just be when you've sat there for a while, you'll see it and think, how long has that been there? And whose is it? And why is it there? There will probably have been some sort of spillage in the kitchen since I last went in there. And there may or may not have been an attempt to clear it up, but if there has been, it will probably just have been smeared further from where it was originally spilled. I don't know if anyone has similar experiences. And a recent development I found in our house is that there are deposits of toothpaste in various places on the carpet around my house. It's like, since when did toothbrushing become something that you did walking around the house. I keep saying to my children, over the sink, please, over the sink. But I never notice those things in the morning. I never notice them when they happen. I notice them when someone is coming round. The other thing that happens in our house, particularly at this time of the year, is there's always washing hanging around the place, like sheets over doors and um, underwear on radiators. You're just, you know, you're just trying to keep the family functioning. And normally that's fine. This is family life. We don't live in a show home. We're not trying to live in a show home. That's all fine. 
until we know someone's coming round. And until we know they're coming round in 10 minutes. And until we remember that one of those people is always five minutes early. And you know, normally this kind of timekeeping is a really admirable trait. We think they are good, they are organized. This is a good thing. But when you're preparing and they're coming around, you're like, no, I hate those early arrivers. We can't do it. I need every minute we've got left. We need to get ready. Is that just me? That's, um, you know, you're thinking, oh, no, they're going to arrive early and we've still got the stuff on the radio. We've still got all these things to sort out. You know, if you host a life group, this happens every week, doesn't it? Yeah. Most weeks, this happens at some point just as we try and get the house ready. See, the truth is that when people are coming over, especially if it's not family, not people who regularly come to our house, we know we need a bit of activity to get ready. There's a bit of preparation needed so that we have things how they ought to be. Sometimes we need to get ourselves ready and as well as preparing the place, but getting ready is a part of life, preparing for what is to come. So why would we speak about this this morning? Well, as we came to the end of our 21 days of prayer, we had on the final lunchtime prayer meetings on a Thursday, we were working through that prayer shield. And on the Thursday, we were praying into the church gathered. And Luke, who was leading that meeting, brought us up from the undercroft where we'd been praying up here into the grace room. In fact, those of you who are here, you'll remember it because it was freezing. And, uh, and we prayed around the room. And I'd said to people before we prayed, like, listen, if you sense God speaking anything or Holy Spirit showing you anything, please come and speak to me. If you're here for the first time, yes, we believe God speaks to us. He shows us things. And there were three different things that people came and spoke to me at the end of that day. The first thing was somebody spoke to me from Isaiah 43. They said, I just sensed throughout this prayer time, this prayer and fasting time, that God has been saying, see, I'm doing a new thing. And they said, I just feel so much that God is preparing and shaping us in this season for a new thing. Someone else came to me and brought me John 7:37, which is the words of Jesus that says, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And they said, I just so feel that God is wanting everyone to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That actually what God wants to pour into us so it can flow out of us. And then a third person came and spoke to me. And they said this. They said, as I was praying around the room, I, I just felt the Lord say, are we ready? Are we ready? Are we the people ready for God to answer the prayers that we've prayed? Are we ready for him to bring people into our church? Are we ready? See, there's a sense as we've emerged from our 21 days of prayer that we're entering a new season. There's a new grace for the next season. And there's a call for us to prepare a place, a place where people can find Jesus, a place where people can encounter God, a place where God might find a people who are ready for him, looking to him. As we embark on this third service on the 6th at CLM, as you heard Martin say this morning, we're seeking to make more room for God to move, to make Jesus accessible so more people can taste him and find him and know him. And a little bit like the picture on the screen, a table laid ready that they might come in and find that a place has been prepared for them where they can find God and feed on God. And so the question comes to us in this season, are we ready? Are we ready for God to do something new? 
Are we ready for the people that he wants to bring here into us? Are we ready for the people he maybe wants us to meet and bring? Are we ready to prepare a place for them here? Are we ready for what God wants to do? You could ask, well, do I really need to be ready? If God is God, then surely he's just gonna get on and do what he's gonna do. And does it really matter if I'm ready or if I prepare a place? You see, the challenge is that I find time and time again as I read in scripture and I see how God works with his people, what happens is God doesn't just sovereignly turn up against the run of play. What happens is he steps in where there are people seeking to co-labor with him, where there are people preparing a place for him, where there are those who pray and those who cry out, where those who do what he asks them to do in obedience and those who step out seeking for what they believe he is gonna do. There's a sense in which we as God's people participate in the outworking of God's purposes. As we activate our faith, as we trust him, as we believe what he said and begin to do something. Does God need us? No. God is self-sufficient, he does not need us, but as we read through scripture, we find that God's chosen way of operating is to work through a people or a person. Almost always, God's answer to prayer is to send someone or to prepare a people. He works through a people who make themselves ready. There's example after example in scripture. I'm not gonna go there this morning because that will take the whole, uh, the whole sermon and more. But you know time and again, that's how God moves. One of the songs that we've been singing quite a lot lately, uh, we sing yes and amen, all your promises are yes and amen. And, and this, this is based on a verse that's in 2 Corinthians 1, and it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes and amen in Christ. But what's important is what comes next. It says, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. There are promises and they're yes in Christ, but through him, the amen is spoken by us us, by you and my, by me. Something gets released when we speak and act in agreement with God. And that's why we need to be ready. We need to be active. We need to be in alignment, in agreement with God, preparing a place for what he wants to do. So I wonder if you turn with me. We're going to read some verses from Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. This really just gives us a little window into Jesus preparing his disciples. He's trying to get them ready. The context here, Jesus has been doing teaching and healing. He's then sent out his 12 disciples to let them have a go at doing it themselves. And they've done pretty well. They've healed some people and they've got better. They've driven out some demons and people have been set free. They've preached the gospel and people have repented. And then since then, they've seen Jesus feed 5,000. He's walked on the water. He's asked them, who do you say I am? And Peter's had this revelation that this man in front of them is the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus has began to talk to them about the fact that he's gonna be killed, but they don't get it yet. So Jesus is here, he's trying to prepare them Prepare them to be bringers of the kingdom. Prepare them for what he 
is going to do. Prepare them to be able to make a place for God to move, even when Jesus is no longer there. This is what he says, Mark 9, 33 to 37 from the NIV. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. This is Jesus preparing his disciples. You know, first of all, I love the fact that Jesus doesn't take them to task in the middle of the argument, on the road where everyone can see, other people can hear. He knows they need correcting, but he waits till they're in the house. They get in the house and then he asks them the question. You know, of course, Jesus doesn't need them to tell him what they were arguing about. Jesus already knows. Jesus is asking them the question so that they can see something they need to know about themselves. And he says, what were you arguing about on the road? And at this point, it says they kept quiet because on the road, they'd been arguing about who was the greatest. Can you imagine when Jesus asks that? Everyone's like eyes down, no one wanting to make eye contact. You know when someone asks a question and no one wants to admit or acknowledge. They would have all known that they should not have been arguing in this way on the road. I wonder if Jesus had been walking along thinking, there are my disciples. <laughs> this is not how it's meant to look, but here we are. They knew they shouldn't have been arguing. Not about anything. Arguing's not a mature way to conduct yourself, let alone about who is best. In fact, this is the behavior really we expect to see from children, not from adults who are being prepared to make a place for God. And yet there they all were partaking in the discussion, in the argument, engaged all there, all wanting to be in pole position. Now it doesn't give us this detail in scripture, but I just imagined yesterday like, what did this argument sound like? What criteria were they using to be best? Was one of them kind of saying, listen, I healed 12 people last time we went out. You only healed eight. That makes me the best. No, but I drove out five demons, and that makes me the best. I have preached in 10 different places. That makes me the best. Were they thinking, like, who had most anointing? Who had most power? Maybe Peter spoke up and said, listen, guys, when Jesus asked his question, it's me. It's me that speaks up. It's always me. And when he asked who I was, I got it right. I got it right. I said, you're the son of the living God. And he said, Peter, this has been revealed to you by the Father. Peter's like, I am the best. Theologically, I am on point. I have got this nailed. I'm seeing it. He said, I'm the best. Then maybe Judah was, sorry, Judas maybe said, no, but come on. I look after the money. He's given me the money. Surely I am the most trusted and the most trustworthy. This makes me the most important, the most significant. I don't know if those were the things they were talking about, but it could have sounded like that. And yet when Jesus asked, what were you arguing about? 
It says they went quiet. And Jesus responds to this. He gets them in the house. And it says, sitting down, he called the 12. You can imagine him kind of coming in. It's like, okay, guys, we're in the house now. <laughs> Let's sit down. We need to debrief on this one. We need to have a little chat about this and what is going on. And he says these words. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. These aren't terribly popular words on social media. I don't hear these banded around in our society. I think the disciples already knew that this was the standard that Jesus lived to. This was a key value, and that's why they were quiet when he asked them the question. They knew it's how they were meant to be living, but this is so countercultural to our human flesh that we struggle to accept it or embrace it, maybe even to remember it. The truth is that for all of us, in our pride, our desire to be first can be hard to overcome. But Jesus knew they had to learn this if they were going to be ready. They had to learn to be servants. And friends, if we want to be ready for what God wants to do, if we want to be ready to be bringers of the kingdom, if we want to be those who prepare a place for God to move, it requires this of us too. If you want to be first, you must be the very last and the servant of all. We must learn to serve, seen or unseen, acknowledged or in obscurity, but to be the servant of all. I don't know if you even have ever thought, what, what does it mean to be the servant of all? You know, really, this means to be someone who is in the service of another and employed to outwork their will. Not my will, Jesus, but your will. I guess it's the words for me to live is Christ. It's not me living what I want to do now, but it's me living what he wants to do. Saying, you can ask me to do anything for anyone. There's nothing below me. You know, if here in church we all understood this, if we lived this out, uh, things would look quite different. We'd probably have a waiting list for serving teams. Poor Jonathan would have a, a queue of people after the service saying, when? When can I join early team? When can I come? Can I just come and help? Can I just come and be an extra body? Can I do this? Can I find a place to serve? Now, it's true that we do have many amazing servant-hearted people who give themselves in service of others and of the church to a level that is quite extraordinary. They've got it, you see. You may never see them on the platform. You may never know their name, but they're going to be the ones that end up first, that end up great in the kingdom of God because they position themselves to be servants of all. You know, if we were all servants and seeking to serve one another, we wouldn't turn up late because we'd be mindful of the impact on others, of their worship and their service. We wouldn't ignore the car park team or be rude to them. I know it's hard to believe, and I know none of you do that. It's those others sometimes. But instead, we'd be asking how we can join in. How can, how can I serve? How can I help? Is there anything I can do to help you right now? 
And of course, being a servant of all, it's not just about teams and church. It's, it's about wherever I go. Saying, God, you can use me to serve or to bless others wherever. I want to live my life genuinely in your service. I don't always do this, but I'm trying to learn to tune in to the Holy Spirit more wherever I go. When I go to town, when I go to Tesco, if I'm at one of my children's schools. You know, I, I'm not the biggest talker. I know that's rich right now while I'm doing all the talking, but I'm not the biggest talker. I'm by nature an introvert. I'm not always looking for the next interaction. And so it's a challenge sometimes when I'm out and about, but I want to position myself to be open, aware of what's going on around me, who's there. Is the Lord provoking me? Is there somebody that I could serve or do something for? I want to be ready to serve where needed, whether I'm asked or I'm not, whether anyone sees or not, whether it's somebody I know or not, a member of my family or a complete stranger. And you know, when Jesus says to be the servant of all, that includes your family. Sometimes it's the easiest people to trample over. But this begins with us being servants of all in our own homes. If we can't do it there, friends, then something's wrong. You know, in Tesco, when I do my weekly shop, I sometimes listen to some music when I'm going around, but I will always take my earphones out when I get to the checkout because I'm trying to engage with the cashier every, every time I go. And uh, because I'm an introvert and I'm not like a big engager with others, I, I have to have some uh, key phrases that help me to open up conversations. And if you're around me very long, you'll notice some of them. And if you're not very kind, you may tease me for them, uh, which some people have done in the past, but that's okay. So I have a set phrase that I use with, my, uh, with the cashier in Tesco, which normally begins something like, um, how much longer have you got on your shift? And they're immediately tuned in because this is what they're sitting there thinking about. How much longer have I got on my shift? And sometimes there's a, a very brief conversation. Yesterday, I had very little conversation. But previous week, the young man then said, what are you humming? I hadn't realized I was humming, but obviously I was humming. And I had been listening to some worship music. I said, oh, it's a new worship album by Bethel. I'm not even sure which song I'm humming, but that's what I've been listening to. And he began talking about worship music. So I said to him, do you have a faith? He said, well, no, not really. My parents have a faith, but I, I don't really have a faith. And we, we talked a little more, and he said, you know, he, he's kind of distanced from that and probably thinks, you know, it would, only if somebody died or things got really difficult could he see himself then admitting that he really needed God. And, but I found out he was a student at Coventry. He knows this building. I invited him to come. I said, you know, you don't have to wait for someone to die. You could come now. And, you know, I don't think he's about to walk in this week. He said, you know, don't, don't take it personally if I don't come. I said, no, it's fine. But I'm just trying to serve, trying to remind him there's a God who loves him and who's there. It's being the servant of all, ready to serve others, to do what is needed. Just before Christmas, uh, when we had our two carol services here, between the carol service, I'd spent some time with a friend who'd come to the first as a visitor. And then I went into the ladies' toilets down on this floor. And in the cubicle that I went into, uh, there was a puddle of some fluids on the floor, as can happen sometimes in the toilets. I've got to say, my initial thought was, someone needs to clear that up. I know that's shocking. My initial thought was not, let me make this good. I thought, someone needs to clear this up. This isn't good with guests here in the building. We want, you know, we want our toilets to be at their best. And I thought, hang on. Who's going to do that? 
I need to do that. Maybe no one else knows it's here. I just need to get over myself and get some tissue and clear it up. Come on, Esther, servant of all. So I got on and I cleared it up. It's not a big deal. I'm sure many of you have done the same without needing the internal conversation. But this is it, it's to be the servant of all, to see things and think, actually, I could just do that. I could serve by doing that. I don't need to find someone else to do that. Or I don't need to leave it and wonder if someone will do it. The thing that I found is there have been many, many moments in my life when in my heart maybe I've complained about something I'm doing or something that's been left and not done by someone else. And the Holy Spirit, maybe these are the two words that he said to be more consistently than anything else. He says, just serve. Just serve. You know you can meet the Holy Spirit at your sink when you're washing up and you're a bit annoyed because you're doing it again, but then he says, just serve. And when you think, yeah, I'll just serve. I'll do it for you, Holy Spirit. And he's there with you in that moment. The sink is a good training ground. The truth is I'm, I'm still learning this fundamental lesson that is here for each of us as disciples. If you want to be great, learn to be the servant of all. Be willing to be the very last. Obviously, he leaves us nowhere to go there. Be the very last. But the truth is, if we want to be ready for whatever God has got, we've got to learn to be the servant of all, to live in his service. That is being ready. That's preparing a place for God to move. And then as if that isn't challenging enough, Jesus carries on. And he gets a little child and has him stand among them. And then it says he takes the child in his arms and says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. The word welcome here, it can be interpreted welcome or receive. But this sense of them coming in and being accepted, greeted. And he says he took a little child. You know, children in that society were not brooded over in the way that they might be in our current culture. They were not really judged as very important at all. In fact, if you were to read on into chapter 10, you'd find some people bringing their children to Jesus to have them blessed and the disciples going, will you clear off? Jesus is too important for this. They'd obviously not quite listened to these words in chapter nine. It's a warning, we can all listen to scripture and still not change. But that was the normal approach in that society. Children were not important. They were not important enough to really have adult attention. Jesus is trying to teach the disciples here another lesson. He says, yes, be the servant of all, but then even to those you think are unimportant. He's saying, as one of my followers, you now have a key role as a welcomer. You have the power to welcome others in my name, to draw them in or not, is the understanding of that. You have the power to receive them. He says, you follow me now, you bear my name. And so I'm trying to teach you that you can welcome in my name. You can receive others in my name. You can bring them in. You can find them, welcome them. Bring them into what you have now begun to enjoy. Welcome them, open up to them what is yours, and allow them to join in and share it. It's a little bit like you've come to Jesus' house and he's invited you in. And then he said to you, oh, if the doorbell goes again, could you get it? And can you just make sure you give them a good welcome, receive them in, get them a drink? He says, will you now receive in my name, welcome 
in my name. And some of this also goes against the grain for many of us, because when we find something precious for ourselves, we often then work to protect it from anyone else spoiling it. But Jesus says, you can't do that with me, and you can't do that with what I give to you. I've welcomed you in. I have received you. I've shared with you what I have. Now you must welcome others in my name. You must receive them, not just the ones that look useful or attractive or wealthy, not just the ones you think might benefit you, but also the difficult ones, the needy ones, the demanding ones, the hurt ones, the little ones, the unimportant ones. He says, will you welcome even these? No one is below you. I think Jesus envisages us a church full of welcomers, looking to receive others and draw them in towards him. You know, if church was like this, we wouldn't need a welcome area. We wouldn't need a welcome team because we would all have got it. We'd all be active in reaching out to receive all those who come in. We would all be active in welcoming others into what we have here and what Jesus has given to us. If we were to do this, it would look like us being ready here in church, each one of us looking out for someone who might be new, someone we don't recognize. Now, I know none of us know everybody. I know we can look at someone and think, don't know if I've seen them before. Maybe you have or maybe you haven't, like me, gone and said, hello, is it your first time? They're like, no, I've been here eight years, which in fact is longer than you. <laughs> I don't say it like that anymore. Now I say, how long have you been coming? That's the reality of church where we are, but it doesn't mean we should stop saying hello to people because there are every week people for whom it is their first time, some who don't yet know Jesus. And if we just walk past them thinking, well, there's another face I don't know, then we don't welcome them, we don't receive them. All we need is to say hello to people. Ask them if they've been before, how long they've been coming, why have they come, get them a drink, Simple things. It's about being proactive, about seeing whether I could help them get connected, whether you could help them get connected or in a life group, or maybe they're interested in Baptism Explained, which was just on the screen. If you're new, you may well be. You could go to that. Maybe helping them make their way to child check-in if they've got a family. Thinking about what might be a good next step for them and how you might be able to help them welcoming them in, receiving them. It might be asking them to join you for lunch after church, depending on the level of devastation you left in your house, of course. Maybe arranging to meet them next week so that if they come back, they know they can meet and have someone to sit by who they know. For some of us, just a simple step forward to be friendly would be a great next step. For all of us, there comes a challenge for us to move on from that and to be ready to be friends with those who God brings. True, we can't be best friends with a thousand people, but we should be looking to see who we can be friends with and who we can draw in and be a friend to in this season. This is welcoming, this is receiving in his name. But it's not, again, it's not all inside the church, outside of church. We can invite people. We can let them know that they're welcome to come. 
Some people have maybe been into a church that was really designed just for the people who knew exactly what to do and what to say and all at the right times, and they don't think church is, is open to new people. Some people around your world think that. Maybe if somebody you know might be interested in coming to church, you could arrange to meet them beforehand or give them a lift. And you know, you don't have to be an amazing evangelist to be able to invite someone to church and to say, well, lots of new people come to our church and we'd love you to come because, well, we know God loves you. And they may not come, but they may. And either way, you've made sure they know that they're welcome and there's a God who's interested in them. In church or out of church, welcoming and receiving others is just not assuming that someone else is going to be their welcomer, that someone else is going to be the one who receives them in Jesus' name, that it might not be someone else who invites them, there might not be anyone else to help them or bring them in. A couple of years ago, I met someone which was through uh, working with the night shelter and they were another professional working in the same field in our city, but they, they weren't a Christian. And I met with them to discuss some things around work. And I had a brief discussion about whether they were part of a church. And they had a nominal faith, but they weren't part of a church. And we had a very amicable discussion and some input about how there could be some ongoing um, partnership. And then literally tongue in cheek, almost, at the end of the conversation, I just thought, I'll just push this a little bit, I said, and maybe we'll see you in church on a Sunday sometime. I mean, honestly, it was the worst welcome probably ever. Just the, the most simple throwaway line. Maybe we'll see you in church on a Sunday, one of these days. Next Sunday, there they are. A couple of weeks later, they turned up to a Wednesday night prayer meeting, praying in the spirit. Martin came out of the meeting and said, have you seen that person? It's the first person in the room. Does he know what this is? <laughs> We meant to make sure he knew what it was, just so he wasn't completely freaked out. They joined a life group. They got part of the church. All it said was, well, it'd be good to see you on a Sunday sometime. Wow. It's not always that simple, but sometimes it is. Sometimes we don't realize it can be that simple because we just don't say anything. Jesus was getting his disciples ready, teaching them to be a servant of all, a welcomer. And friends, for us to prepare a place for God to move, we need to be ready. Will we be those who will move towards others to welcome them and to receive them in Jesus' name? Will we prepare a place for them to serve them, not to be bound by our own comfort or our own ease, but actively drawing others into what Jesus has made available to us? This is how we prepare a place. This is how we get ready. Being servants of all when nothing is beneath us. Welcomers of anyone when no one is below us. Jesus tells another parable. You can read it in Luke 12. It'll come up on the screen here. And Some would call it the parable of the serving master. It starts, if you read it in the English standard version, it says, you must be ready. And it says this, it says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. 
Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Jesus tells this parable because there's blessing in being ready, in being those who are dressed for action, being a servant, watching, expectant, active, alert, ready for and attentive to what the master is doing. You see, in this parable, the servants, they've been loyally waiting for their master to come. They are attentive and they are ready to serve. But on his arrival, what happens is not what they expected because he is withdrawn from the wedding banquet and he comes and to their utter amazement, he puts a rope or a belt around his garment, which is the thing that only a servant would do, preparing to do something very lowly. But that's what this master does. He comes to serve and to serve them. He gets the servants to recline at the table to serve them. In Middle Eastern culture, a master may serve his own guests, but he would never serve his own servants. And yet here Jesus tells a parable of the master, the Lord at his return, withdrawing from the wedding feast, not necessarily because the feast is over, but withdrawing, perhaps bringing with him some of the splendor of the feast and coming to those servants who are waiting, ready, expectant, alert, and then astonishingly dressing himself to serve them what he's brought from the banquet's provision. Jesus says, blessed are those servants. Kenneth Bailey in his book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, um, unpacks this parable, parable really helpfully and explains that the, the use of the word blessed here is he's not saying that this relates to something that's gonna happen to them in the future and be bestowed on them, but to a condition that already exists. He says this, the meaning of this text is not if these servants are awake and ready, their master will reward them with his blessing. Rather, it says, servants who have lamps lit, robes duly belted, and are awake, eagerly expecting the arrival of the master, are already filled with the blessing of God. And they are a blessed presence in the house. The way they act is an expression of who they are, not an attempt to earn something that they do not have. Of course, he is going to return one day. And there will be reward and there will be blessing for those who are found worthy. All who are saved will be welcomed in. But friends, we're called to be those who are ready, those who are preparing a place, those who are attentive to and expectant for their master, not just in the hope of something in the future, but because we love him and we know that the most blessed thing to do today, here and now, is to be fully attentive to him and to his service. Those who are dressed and ready for service, they are blessed and they are a blessing. Friends, Jesus is calling us to be servants like this, to be ready, 
to be attentive, to be alert. Yes, for when he returns or when he comes to take us home, whichever of those comes first for us. But friends, we will only be found in those moments attentive to the master and serving him. If in the ordinary, everyday moments like today, that we've committed to be those attentive servants. We won't suddenly change in that moment. We may not have time to change in that moment. It's in the decisions of today and the positioning of today that we get ready for the master, preparing a place for him in the now, in this season. We can choose to be blessed and be a blessed presence in his household. There's no list to sign up on this morning. We could have gone for that. Believe me, there will be opportunities to serve in the weeks and months ahead as we launch a third service. Of course, there's practicalities. Just running the house, you know, we've had over a thousand people here every week in the last few weeks. This takes us to be willing to serve one another, to give to one another, but actually not preaching this morning that we would respond by putting our name on a list. But I want to invite you to respond to Jesus this morning, who is the serving master, the one who came not to be served, but to serve. The one who came that you might be invited to recline at the table and feast from his provision for you. The exchange that we've already discussed. And to invite you to respond to him and to make yourself ready to prepare a place for what he will do because he's inviting you. He's calling you to be the servant of all, to be a welcomer in his name, to be a servant who's ready, attentive to him, preparing a place. Because I know that when you do that, you'll be blessed. It'll be said of you how happy they are. How happy is the servant who is ready? I'm going to invite us to stand. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But really what I'm inviting us to this morning is that we would open our hearts to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to help us to move forward in this area of serving, of welcoming others. Because you know, the Holy Spirit will help us to get beyond our personality, to get beyond our limitations, to get beyond our hurts, to get beyond all the things that can hold us back in this. He will help us. Help us to be servants of all. Help us to be an army of welcomers into God's house. To be a people who are ready for Him. Let's pray. Maybe position yourself open to Him. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are the Master who serves. And you came to serve when you came to the earth and you laid down your life as a ransom for many, for me, for each one of us. And you lead the way. We thank you for this parable that we read today that shows us the, the picture of you withdrawing from that wedding banquet and bringing provision to share with your servants and again serving them. And so you call us to follow where you lead and to be like you. And we ask that you'd help us. 
Holy Spirit, will you work in our hearts and help us to see the needs and not to look past them. Help us to not be afraid to engage. Help us to get beyond our own sense of inadequacy and to step out as the people who are ready, as the people who are preparing a place for you. Because Jesus, we want you to move here. We want you to fill this house with your presence and with your love and to fill it with people who you are longing to bring home to you. And so will you so help us to move from where we are, to keep growing in what you call us to so that we'd see your kingdom come and your will done and see many, many hundreds of people find that they are loved by the King and find they can be at home in his house. And we ask it in your precious name.